We are in the series, Finding Contentment in a Busy Life. It is the same series that uh, many of you all, a hundred today, have went through in your Bible study. Finding contentment in a busy life. Why does contentment seem so elusive or unable to grasp? Well, one, we don't always get what we would like to have or think that we need. So therefore, uh, contentment is hard to grasp at those times. Mainly, we live in a fallen and cursed world with conflict, problem, and disappointments. And so, all of these do not go away in our life. They ebb and flow, wax and wane, come and go. And so therefore, in this life, we have misunderstandings. We have, uh, for you young people, uh, school aggravations. We have nagging sins that we deal with in our life. We have relationship problems. We have sickness. We have loss. We have work difficulties. We have death. We have money issues. We have retirement uh, issues, property problems, challenges even at church at times, and in the business of life. But again, these come and they go through the seasons of life. But we do see all of these throughout our entire life on earth, even though they come and go. But we learned last week, as the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 4.13, that he can do all things through Christ which giveth him strength. And he was speaking of contentment when he said that. We find our contentment in Jesus Christ even in the seasons of all of these things. Now today is a little bit different, because while all of the things that I just mentioned can and will happen beyond our control in our life, we can control how we respond to them by going to Christ, by trusting Christ, but today is different. And as we will read in 1 Timothy in chapter 6, Paul warns Timothy, as Timothy is there pastoring the church, about an issue we can control, something that robs us of contentment in our Christian life. And that is the love of money and material things that will not survive this earth. Things we didn't have when we arrived in life and things that we cannot take with us when we pass from this life into our eternity. And so if you are physically able this morning, I would invite you to stand with me in honor and reverence of the reading of God's Word from 1 Timothy 6. I will begin in verse 3 and read through verse 12. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness... He is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, 
And we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people and into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and about which made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. To God be the glory today. You may be seated. As we think of finding contentment in this busy life, I came across this old quote from D.L. Moody, the 19th century great preacher and evangelist here in America, And he said, getting riches brings care. Keeping them brings trouble. Abusing them brings guilt. And losing them brings sorrow. It is a great mistake to make so much of riches as we do. Now imagine this was a man that said this in the 19th century, in the mid to late 1800s, if he could see our society now, how saddened D.L. Moody would be. Let's pray. God, grant us your grace that we may have faith to receive the word that we are about to hear. And O Lord, I ask for an unction of the Holy Spirit to speak to your people in a way that honors your name and builds them up and draws them closer to you, Lord Jesus. And Lord, may your Holy Spirit be very evident, His presence in this room today. And may you work according to your will freely. In Christ's name, Amen. Many times we might ask people when they change uh, jobs or positions, why did you do that? And if the answer is, well, I could make more money, that usually ends the conversation. Now, I'm not saying today that it is wrong to take a position that offers more money. I am saying that when that is the main motive for why you made the decision, instead of seeking God's will and seeking God's favor and seeing if it continues to help you in your walk with Christ or draws you away from Christ, the conversation should not end. The irony is many times we take positions, and as a pastor now of this church for 16 years and growing up in a pastor's home, I've also seen many people ask me or my father to pray for them for a new position And then when they got a new job or a new position, it kept them out of church. And I'm thinking, I wish I'd never prayed for that. And then soon, it has been weeks, years since we've seen. 
The irony of this is, is that we do that out of for contentment. And yet the problem is, that in the long run, it does not help our contentment in the busy life. As D.L. Moody says, it just brings more care to get more riches. It brings more trouble to keep them. It brings more guilt when we abuse them. And brings more sorrow when we lose them. Again, Paul the Apostle is not saying that it is wrong to have things. It is not wrong to have money if the Lord so blesses. It is wrong when that is our main goal in life and our main treasure. When we think that money and things that money buys will bring us contentment. It's been said that the way we handle our money is perhaps the truest indicator of the spiritual condition of our heart. And I would say that is true. Even as Christians, many times we separate the two of our secular life, if you will, how we handle our affairs and our business, and then we have our spiritual life, what we do in and through the church. Can I tell you that that is not the case in the life of a true child of God? And how we handle our money and how we handle the love of things is perhaps the truest indicator of the condition of our heart. Many people believe that uh, the Bible uh, doesn't really have any business in their financial affairs. The truth is, listen to this that I found. The Bible contains more than 500 references to prayer and almost 500 references to faith. But there are more than 2,000 references, get that, 2,000 references to money and possessions. Out of the 38 parables that Jesus taught in the Gospels, 16, 16 out of 38, deal with how we handle our money and possessions. So Jesus said more about money and possessions, warning how they can contaminate our life, than he even did about heaven or hell combined. One out of every ten verses in the gospel deals with money or possessions. 288 verses in the four gospels deal with money and possessions. And so we see that the Bible has a lot to say about how we as Christians deal with our money and our finances. Look back at the Scripture, if you will, this morning. Paul is warning Timothy about these people, these false teachers that are trying to lure or draw the people away from sound teaching or sound words. He speaks of them as being puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. They have an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions. These people bring constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. And here is an amazing point that Paul brings out even in early Christianity, even in the early stages of the New Testament church, 
The prosperity gospel and false teaching was happening even there when he says, who are depraved in mind, deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness, and what they're saying is a show of godliness, is a means of gain. And he's speaking of financial gain. Those that preach that a form of godliness will bring you all the finances and the things that you need. Even as you hear what is called Christian television and Christian radio, you hear these teachings constantly bombarding the ears and the heart of millions of people, not only in our nation, but now these false teachers are getting on their jets and going into poverty-stricken countries and teaching this to people in poverty, taking their money, getting on their private jet, coming back to America to live in their mansion. And Paul is warning against this. That we do not think that this show of godliness is supposed to bring financial gain to us. And you might say, how do you know he's connecting that? Because of the next verses. He goes right in to warn about the love of money. But he says, but godliness, true godliness, seeking the Lord. Seeking the Lord in His will. Worshiping the Lord. Putting Him first. Allowing the Lord to work in and through your life with contentment. Being satisfied with what God has given you and what He has blessed you with. True godliness. Not a show of godliness, but true godliness with contentment is great gain to our life. We find peace in our life. We find joy. Our faith increases in all circumstances. But godliness with contentment is great gain. And he goes on to say why. We get so tied up about things. Things. Our lives are filled with things. Whether they be trinkets or Whatever it might be that has come across uh, our eyes, maybe on the TV screen or the phone screen that is drawing us away thinking, I need that today. I need to order that now. But we brought nothing into the world. We came in crying and naked. And we cannot take anything out of the world when we go. And yet we all know this. How many times, even out of Christian circles, have we heard even non-believers say, well, you can't take it with you when you go. And still our lives are filled with things that bring guilt, that bring worry, that bring concern, that we know we can't take it with us. And not only that, like we said, like we read the quote from D.L. Moody, it brings great concern to our life to get it. It brings great worry and trouble to keep it. It brings guilt to abuse it. And brings sorrow when we lose it. 
We know that, and still yet we go after the things of life. Beloved, this doesn't just have to do with wanting several hundred dollar bills in your wallet at all times. This can do with a lot of the things that we think are so important. I'm going to get even closer. A lot of the things that we put in our kids' life that we think they need to be have all the things and tools they need to succeed. And so we cram-pack our kids' lives to where now our children are also dealing with sorrow. Our children are also dealing with great care in their life, trying to manage all the things that we've put in their life. And we think we're trying to do what's best for them. I heard an interview with uh, Mr. Gillum, our superintendent, halftime of the Southern Central game in which we beat Central. But anyway, that's another story. And A.J., you had a touchdown or two in that game, I believe, didn't you? No? Well, you did well. And Mr. Gillum was being interviewed by Alan Cutler, and Alan Cutler was asking Mr. Gillum, our superintendent, what is the number one concern in your schools today? And Alan Cutler, before he even allowed Gillum to answer, said, I'm sure it's security. Mr. Gillum, who is also a fine Christian man and a member of a church down the road here, said, well, security is certainly a huge issue, but he said our number one problem we're dealing with with younger age kids is emotional issues. Our kids, even, as we have cram-packed their schedule with things that takes money to put them in, is actually, we think we're giving them the tools to make them better people, more well-rounded, but we're cram-packing their schedules, putting so much emphasis on performance, 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 It's actually bringing great care and anxiety even in our young people. This is a serious issue. One person said that the trouble is that too many people are spending money they don't have for things they don't need to impress people they don't like. And you know what? There's a lot of truth to that saying. But godliness with contentment is great gain. But please lock in with me for just a couple other moments as we look, beginning in verse 9. But those who desire to be rich, and again, you might be saying, I don't desire millions of dollars, but do we desire a lot of things that money takes? And then when we don't have money, we charge it. Then comes the worry and the care and the guilt. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. So we fall into temptation. Then what happens? He says, into a snare or a trap. As if a bird catches its foot in the trap of the hunter. He goes on to say, into many senseless things we didn't even need to be dealing with. Things that were not even eternal or of eternal value. Senseless and harmful desires. 
And he goes on to say, they plunge people into ruin and destruction. And look who he's talking to. Remember, he's writing to a pastor of a church. He is basically speaking to Christians that if they're not careful, they can have their foot caught in the trap and experience senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Beloved, it's been said before, and I'll say it again. If you're a true child of God, Satan knows that he cannot steal your soul. He knows that, but he will try to rob you of your joy. And he will try to rob the church of its influence. And he will try to rob you of your peace. And he will try to rob you of your contentment. He wants to rob you of your witness and your happiness and your joy in Jesus Christ. A miserable Christian. Have you ever known any? Don't point at anybody today. Don't mention any names. But a miserable Christian is one who knows the will of God, who knows the love of God, who knows that only true joy comes in a close relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet is going after the things of the world. Do you know that's the most miserable person in the world? Somebody who knows the will of the Lord and yet is running in the opposite way? That's the most miserable, discontented person in the world. Is someone who knows Jesus Christ as Savior, but is constantly running after the things of the world. And somewhere along the line, their foot got caught in the trap. And then many senseless and harmful things came upon them and into their life. A story I found that said it was written about when Pompeii, and those of you who are not history buffs or you younger people, uh, you can look it up in your encyclopedia. Good to see the Merriman's back. They're saying, what's an encyclopedia? The new encyclopedia, Google. Google, yes, I use it a lot. When Pompeii was being excavated, there was found a body that had been embalmed by the ashes of Azivius. It was that of a woman. Her feet were turned toward the city gate, but her face was turned back, backward toward something that lay just beyond her outstretched hands. As they continued the dig, the prize for which those frozen fingers were reaching was a bag of pearls. Maybe she herself had dropped them as she was fleeing her, for her life, maybe she had found them, maybe someone else dropped them while they were fleeing for their life, and she saw the pearls, we'll never know. But be that as it may, 
Death was hard on her heels, and life was beckoning to her beyond the city gates to escape molten ash. She could not shake off the spell of that bag of pearls. She had turned to pick them up, but her only reward was death. It was not the eruption of Vesuvius that made her love pearls more than life. It only froze her in this attitude of greed. You know, uh, Paula and I have been blessed. Paula works hard, and you all have blessed me and my family, and we have a nice home and many things that really we don't deserve. But Pat, you and I were talking about this at the bank one day. We were just as content years ago. I was just as content at that little two-room house on Orchard Street. Slept just as good as I did now. Look again, if you will, at verse 10 as we begin to come to a close today. And here is one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible because people say, well, you know, Uh, Money is the root of all evil, and that's not what it says. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. But look at those wordings that Paul wrote afterwards. It is through this craving for things, for prosperity, for position, for gain, all in the name of contentment that some have wandered away from the faith. And again, they know Christ, some of them. But yet their foot was caught in the trap. We used to call it keeping up with the Joneses. Their foot was caught in the trap. And they were drawn away from living the life of faith that brings so much goodness, contentment, and reward that God has for them. But these words pierced me like they never have before. I don't know the countless times I've read this scripture. I read the pastoral epistles quite a bit because I'm a pastor. But it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs, or that word means sorrows. What really grabbed me, Elmira, was pierce themselves. That Paul would use the word pierce themselves. And actually, in that original Greek phrasing, then the King James says it rightly, pierce themselves through. They have pierced their life through. Just like imagining the skin being driven with a spike through the flesh. That's what happens, especially when a Christian loves money more than their relationship with Christ or loves the things that money buys more than the relationship with Christ. Trying to find contentment with the things of the world more than finding contentment in Christ. What you're doing is you're taking your life And you are piercing your life all the way through. And I found that so striking this week that Paul would use the word 
pierce. The same word that is used of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that he was pierced for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. When we read of how the Roman soldier pierced the side of Christ while he hung on the cross, of how those spikes pierced through the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ. Beloved, I want you to know this. Jesus Christ went through a terrible piercing so that we would not have to fall into the trap and pierce our lives through with the things of this world. He came to save us from our sin. He came to save us from the wrath of God when justice comes. But He also came to save us from trying to find contentment in the things of life that we can't even take with us when we go. Jesus Christ did that for us. So what do we do? Paul answers, but as for you, O man of God, as he speaks to Timothy, as he pastors these people, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Fight the good fight. But most importantly, to trust the Lord with your contentment. Trust Him with what He gives you. Trust the one that was pierced for your transgressions, wounded for our sins, bruised for our iniquities, who came to rescue us from a meaningless, worrisome life with our feet trapped in a net while the tempter pierces through our life and brings great harm. Child of God, how have you been living? I've got to be honest with you, this has impacted my life this week because even your pastor can be drawn away from the things of this world and small things. The trap lays close to my foot as well, just like it does yours. And so we must flee these things and find our contentment in Christ. What about you, O sinner, you who have never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Would you trust the one that was pierced for you to rescue you from leaving this life with nothing and especially no eternity in heaven with Him? Would you today give your life to the one that gave His life for you? Beloved, we can find contentment even in a busy life. His name is Jesus Christ. And He loves you. And He came for you and me to save us 
from all the cares and the worries of this world. He came to save you from the trap. It is sweet to trust in Jesus, isn't it, Brother Ronnie? Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Would you trust Him today?